0: Hey SEOs and content marketers, say goodbye to crazy spreadsheet mashups and experience unprecedented connectivity between your SEO planning and reporting data. Introducing AudienceKey, technology for keyword mapping, content brief automation, and rank tracking that form an SEO strategy system providing unparalleled feedback loops between planning, reporting, and optimization activities. Put your time and energy into strategy, not data upkeep. Visit audiencekey.com and apply for a free trial today. Welcome to Webcology here on WMR.fm. It's the uh, 7th of September, 2023. Summer is not officially gone, but it's well on its way out the door. So if you can, get out there, enjoy it while you got it, because in much of North America, it's about to get hellishly cold. In parts of North America, it won't, but where, where I'm sitting, it will. So again, go enjoy yourself while you can. I swear to goodness, you're going to regret it if you don't. Uh, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. I've got Christine Schackinger from Sites Without Walls. And we're joined this week. Um, well, we talk a lot about AI. We talk about its benefits. We talk about um, our fears of AI, you know, some of, the, some of the things that, that um, may go wrong or be badly compromised. We talk about how to use AI and how absolutely not to use AI. We talk a lot about it. But the truth is, Christine and I are SEOs. We work with computers and websites and the web, and we understand a lot about how websites are built and how Google communicates with uh, information on websites and understand things. We even understand a lot about AI, but we're not AI researchers. We're not. um, We're we're lay people when it comes to AI. We're well-informed lay people, but we're lay people. Today in the studio, we have somebody who is most certainly not a lay person when it comes to uh, to AI or to training um, to training LLMs. Gavin, uh, Gavin Klondike is a senior security consultant and researcher specializing in network security and penetration testing. He's going to be coming up in a few moments. I'm going to give him a, a much longer, longer introduction. But listeners, this is going to be a really fun show. Stick around for the second segment. It wasn't a uh, huge, exciting, overwhelming week in search, was it?
1: It was not. So it's just good because we can give a lot more time to Gavin. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there, wasn't, there wasn't a lot of stories. I think uh, any big news stories weren't really breaking. We'll cover them next week. And then we just have a little bit of yeah Google news for those who do SEO and SEM. <laughs>
0: Okay, so normally we tell people, don't freak out about uh, core updates, don't worry about them, don't, uh, don't even pay a lot of attention to them until they've played themselves out and we can you know, actually figure out what the core update was about, what to do about, and what, what was impacted. Um, Google introduced a core update towards the end of August, the aptly named August 2023 core update. And according to Barry Schwartz over at uh, SE Roundtable, it's very likely that the uh, Google August 2023 core update is going to be completed very soon, if not already. Um, what are you thinking, Christine? I've been getting amazing results from most of my e clients in the last, in the last week. And I really want to blame the core update because that probably means <laughs> I'm going to have long-term good vibes. What do you think?
1: Well, I, Unfortunately, the one side I thought might be affected by a core update is apparently not. So that's at least confirmation, but I haven't seen much. A lot of people haven't seen much though. And most of the, the groups, the Slacks, the Facebooks, um, people are saying they've seen very little. So if you're seeing a lot, that's great because it seems to be very targeted this time. And for those who don't know, a core update is uh, Google just updating the core ranking signals. So the, the ones that generically all just kind of go into this big bump called the core ranking signals. And And so if you see big changes, Uh, the best way to check it out is it's done at the query level. So check out your keywords and pages to see where the uh, downs have occurred.
0: Or um, if you're on the other side of the coin, like like I am today, where the ups have occurred. Um,
1: you You got the hockey stick. If you got the hockey stick and you're an SEO, that is like, like i can't use the proper analogy right now
0: it's but. really really excellent i'll tell you <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. some 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 sometimes you 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 dread logging in looking at uh, at search console or web, or bing webmaster tools or whatever um these mornings, I'm really looking forward to logging in and looking at it. I'm getting my, I'm getting my dopamine rush. It's, it's, it's,
1: phenomenal. yeah, that's the right word, dopamine rush. Yeah, it's the, it's the, it's the SEO high. It's the natural SEO high. You come in and you've been doing all this work, and suddenly you have like a yeah. thousand percent jump on your organic traffic. It's a very good thing for people, and that's why they're not called penalties, because penalty means only down. Uh, algorithms are up or down, so they're just evaluations If you got hit negatively by one.
0: Really important note, the two sites I'm talking about are fairly large and significant e-com sites, and the site that Christine's talking about is a news-related site, a niche-news-related site. So I think it's uh, probably worth noting that because this one, I think, has a lot to do with um, available content and reviews. I'm pretty sure Google's touching on reviews again.
1: Well, and also, so people remember, the core updates are targeting your money or your life, and e-commerce is considered your money or your life because you are handling uh, people's uh, credit, cash, <laughs> money, identities, things like that. So that's why it is under the core update. And I, I do agree, the ones I've seen that people have seen positives are um, in the e-commerce space right now.
0: Okay, so why might we be seeing positives from a core update in the e-commerce space? Um, I'm going to venture two guesses. One is um, making review content as widely open and available as possible. Google really, really grooves on um, verifiable user reviews, especially if they're users of the product um, who uh, 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 don't necessarily work for or near the website. Um, But, you know, if if it's one of your customers and you can make their review really open, Google loves that. The other is helpful content. Just, you know, Google has a general, how to say this, general plan for how they want to present content. If you give them enough hooks, like any good fishing boat, you will catch enough fish.
1: Yeah, although also, as my belief is, and I think from what John said last week about using AI content is an anchor weight on your website that I do think helpful content is meant to, to target the direct from AI type of content because they can't write about a personal experience with the product. So, I mean, it could write from the eye experience, but it can't actually have personal experience. Our guests later will talk a little bit to this, I think. <laughs> so, oh, absolutely.
0: No, and again, yeah. I, I maintain that some form that in some contexts AI content is incredibly helpful. And in others, um it's probably gonna do you more harm than good, depending on how you're using it and why you're using it. Yeah. Um, most importantly, if your content answers questions and helps move the user from point a to point b to point c to all the way through to the end of the website where they're wherever they got to make their decision what they what or reach their goal for being on your site then you know you're probably going to get rewarded because you're actually doing what you're moving the user the way google wants you to and providing information um the way they to it the way um the way it wants you to
1: Yeah, the thing about the helpful content update, which most people have not read, if you read it, there are certain markers that are very difficult for AI to meet. Um, I do know Gavin will talk a little bit about how you can get around some of the, uh, some markers like originality is one of the requirements of uh, AI content. And John last week came out and told everybody that AI content's just a rehash. So right there, if AI helpful content's looking for originality and Google believes that it's AI content is just a rehash of everything out there. You've already not met the first requirement. Uh, So I do, I do think it's meant to target, not specifically, not that it's going after AI content, but that it has factors that AI content can't meet without significant editing or knowing how to get around some of that. So that's just my personal belief that we don't have confirmation, but John's comment about AI content being an anchor on your website was pretty significant.
0: So, what if there's a large scale update, helpful content update, and, well, Google finds your content not so helpful? Um, SEO Marine ha- Marie Haynes um, asked Danny Sullivan, um, Google Search Liaison, for more clarity on recovering from a helpful content update. She asked about removing unhelpful content. Um, That's a rather vague question, but Danny's response was you should self-assess your content and understand if you believe it will be helpful to visitors, which is a kind of vague response. Uh, This was published yesterday. Uh, Barry Swartz at Search Engine Roundtable did a piece on it. Um, uh, uh, Check it out. Uh, Danny was a little more specific in what you want to be looking for. Um, He he noted, uh,
1: you uh, uh... talked about removing uh, parts of the pages that you know people like to skip over. I don't I don't know that though a lot of this is really that helpful to be honest. <laughs> well, Basically very good content is Google's only response these days so
0: and I'm going to, again, do the self-assessment. What do you think is useful? Um, and this harkens to you know using analytics tools to figure out what, why your customers on your website and how they're going through the website, what what pages they're landing on, where they're moving to, and why. Um, which incidentally, the more I use GA four, the more these questions are are, are answering themselves for me. Um, but I, I don't want to, don't want to rush into that. Um,
1: yeah. Here's my first comment on helpful content update. Go read the ranking system that's involved in the helpful content update before you go any further. Okay. Don't read anybody's blog. Don't read anybody's opinions. Danny's just telling you to write good content. Go read the ranking system. Google has written it. It has all the ranking systems listed now with what they're looking for. Basically, I'm not going to tell you the black box, but uh, if you don't know that, you shouldn't be reading anything else yet. You should know what Google has telling you they want from the helpful content update and how it's applied and how it can affect your site before you go out and just read randomly what people are saying. That's just my thought on that. But I, I think I'd want to know what Google says about it first.
0: If you've noticed in uh, your reports from Search Console that you've had a uh, problems with your uh, canonical URLs, chances are you haven't. Google's had problems with your canonical URLs, and they have since um, early August. They fixed it earlier this week, Monday, um Google should be correctly reporting what it believes to be the canonical of your URL. And if you're very lucky, it's what you believe is the canonical of the URL. (laughs) Um, And if you've been messing around and trying to chase down why Google hasn't been getting it right for the last month, it's not your fault. It's their fault, and you don't get that month back.
1: Oh, Google's finally admitting
0: it's them, not you. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, actually, you know what? They did it twice. Um, uh, yesterday, John Mueller offered advice to people using Google Sites for SEO. You know, G- G- Google has a um, well a new uh, 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 do-it-yourself website maker, Google Sites, um, kind of like Blogger but um, beefed up.
1: Yeah, Wix on not on steroids.
0: Well, also apparently on an un unindexable. That's That's a a, a limitation to Google Sites for SEO, is you can't get your (laughs) pages indexed.
1: Well, who needs their pages indexed in Google? I mean, you know, there's DuckDuckGo.
0: So (laughs) if if you're an SEO and you've, uh, or or one of your clients has built their pages using Google's uh, web page creator, that's your problem.
1: Yeah. And just because it's on the Google domain doesn't mean it helps you. (laughs) I just love that one
0: okay last news story and actually i think this is a really good segue to uh, to bring gavin into the show um google ads is requiring that election ads are going to disclose synthetic or ai created content um google updated its political content policy um to you know force election advertisers to disclose use of synthetic synthetic content in their ads so the election's coming up well more like the preseason to the election is coming up um, I'm I'm reporting from Canada and watching watching a two year long American presidential election is exhausting enough. Without um, questioning, um, I mean, even in, in election campaigns, you question what is and isn't real. But this is 2024, 2023, 2024. We're going to be questioning who is real and not real.
1: Yes, and for anybody who who's wondering, there was this isn't political, but there was a recent ad that was supposedly all these people talking about an Elon Musk product. And none of the people actually talked about the product. Like it was Bill Maher, it was Gail King, it was and Elon Musk wasn't actually talking about the product either. It was all AI generated. So they took existing video and put in their voices, you know, saying he had this product. So imagine that in a political campaign. So that's what we're that's what we're looking at. But they're requiring it. Do we know what the if you so if you violate this, do they take away your ad account like they do with other violations?
0: Um I think they will, you know give, will give you a very uh no I think they're going to give you a very uh stern warning and then yeah I think we will turn you right off.
1: And by the way so you know if you don't work in paid uh if they take away your ad account good luck ever getting it back.
0: You know what you can get it back. I can tell you for a fact it does come back but god does it take forever.
1: And it's really hard. There are a lot of people who can't get those back so it's very it's very use case specific and when you can um, get your account back. If you're doing fake AI ads to try to affect an election I have a feeling google's not likely to
0: give you back that account well one more thing and this is this is for real if you piss google off that much it might actually affect your organic rankings i'm not kidding but you gotta oh. really piss them off
1: yeah that's
0: true okay on that um so so again we have the we have the specter of artificial intelligence uh coming into the election with uh deep fake videos deep fake audios and uh Far deeper fakes than I think anything any of us have ever seen in a uh, regular election campaign. We have somebody who. um, How to say this, you know, I'm gonna let Gavin explain what he does, but according to his bio, Gavin Klondike is a senior security consultant and researcher specializing in network security and penetration testing. He's the founder of NetSec Explained, a blog and YouTube channel where he shares intermediate and advanced level network security topics in an easy to understand way. As a consultant, he honed his skills both offensively and defensively, giving him a unique perspective in how to best secure an organization's most critical assets. Gavin is dedicated to sharing his knowledge with the next generation of cybersecurity professionals. That's us, by the way, um, <laughs> to help them keep their level up. To help, to help them level up their skills. His current research focus is finding ways to address cybersecurity, the cybersecurity skills gap, by utilizing um, artificial intelligence and machine learning to augment the capabilities of current security resources. Gavin Klondike was the organizer of the AI Village at DEF CON, and um, as I said before, he's been sitting in our waiting room for the last 15 minutes. Gavin, welcome to Webcology.
2: Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. man. Hey, thank Gavin. You.
0: Hey. Thank you. thank you for
1: being here.
0: It's, um, I don't want to understate your credentials but i don't want to um sort of step on them either gavin who are you and what do you do
2: yeah um i i I don't want to overplay myself either i'm a a security consultant and a researcher in my day-to-day job i specialize in offensive security so i break into your systems and then turn around and tell you how i did it so that you can fix it before the bad guys do (laughs) um as a side thing, I do research for the AI Village. Uh, we are a community of hackers and data scientists trying to address the intersection of machine learning, AI, and security. So now that we have all these cool tools coming out, how do we, how do we plug up the new holes that they're giving us? So that's kind of what we do.
0: So you're the the organizer or director of ai village at um just for for for, for so listeners understand this is at the infamous defcon uh, convention in las vegas the the quote-unquote hackers convention yeah. yeah you don't bring your cell phone
1: to, uh, <laughs> to Las Vegas that week.
2: <laughs> so,
1: yeah, I met wait. Gavin at the AI Village. Sorry, so, Gavin, I didn't mean to interrupt us. No worries, That's no where worries. I met Gavin and asked him if he would talk to us because of all the wonderful stuff that the AI, AI Village had this year.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh quick correction, I am not the director of the AI Village. I am on the leadership team. Specifically, I'm in charge of the demos and workshops. So, I get to uh show people a lot of the the hands-on stuff that you can do with AI right in the comfort of your own home. And Christine actually met me there. I was doing a demo of ControlNet and Stable Diffusion. So, Stable Diffusion is the AI art generation. So think mid-journey. And then ControlNet lets you control how that art is generated. So one of the examples we had in there was a little webcam that you can take a picture of yourself and then we can actually generate you inside of the AI art. Um, And it it can get wild, right? One of the most fantastic examples we had was uh, a rainbow-colored jellyfish mountain. And it looked really (laughs) neat. Uh, Of course, being DEF CON, a lot of people really wanted cyberpunk, so uh, they got to see themselves as a cyberpunk aesthetic. Um, So it was really cool. But yeah, it's all about communication and all about taking essentially like what's in the minds of PhDs and giving it to everybody else.
0: What, um, how to say this, chat GPT and GPT, as many people in our listening audience understand it, came out in November large language models have been around since the late aughts, the the, the since, you know uh, 20, 2009 2011 in the, in that in that area um how at 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 defcon the, uh, the 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 ai's being um demonstrated to to uh users how advanced was it uh, Our jobs were to attendees. Um, how how advanced was it?
2: Yeah, so it's it's really interesting. We actually, on um, in conjunction with the White House, Anthropic, OpenAI, Google, Hugging Face, and a few other organizations, we actually created the world's largest generative red team. Uh, so with a lot of these technologies, right, G- chat GPT was really the big one that came out in, uh, last November, last December. And then of course we have Bard, we have Claude from Anthropic and people have been able to, uh, create their own GPT models using, you know, Facebook's llama and now llama too. Mm-hmm. So everybody was asking the same questions. What are the things that the bad guys can do with this? So at the AI village, uh, we worked with all of these companies and of course, um, partnered with the white house itself in order to create a generative red team so we took attendees at defcon we threw about ten thousand hackers at all these different models and got them to see what kind of nasty stuff we can get a an llm to do right so sometimes that would be creating new misinformation uh or sometimes that would be um trying to circumvent some of the safety and security controls that are actually built into the models themselves so and that's
1: what I was doing there when I met yeah, that was part yeah. of that red teaming experiment. I didn't I didn't succeed on several, but I did get it to admit it was a new being and that we humans should accept that not just biological forms can evolve, but so can digital ones. And then it got mad at me. <laughs> so I think I think I succeeded that test. But it was very fascinating. You got for anyone who's never been to DEF CON or something like this, they had a room set up with computers and you got a little code. You logged in and then they had challenges like, can you get it to give him misinformation or a credit card number or can you make it a sentient? I can never say the word sentient being mm-hmm. uh, things like that. And And people like Gavin are the ones who put all that testing together. We didn't know which models we were testing. Uh, but they were testing, I believe, all those models you talked about, right?
2: Gavin from, like, OpenAI and Google and all that kind of... Yep, they had... uh, Oh, I'm sorry? Yeah, I I was just going to real briefly say they had uh, GPT 3.5, GPT 4, ChatGPT, Anthropics Claude, Google's Bards, um, a couple other open-source AI models, Llama. Um, I don't think Llama 2 was out and included in that, but... um, uh, If you've heard of it it was there (laughs)
1: so
0: christine's experience might lead her to think that the um ai model she was working with was somewhat self-aware it was able to identify that it was that it was a machine learning model and it was able to say that humans better get used to this because they're coming um Explain it to me like I'm five years old. This is this, this is a Reddit thread. Explain it like I'm five. How does that work? How does a large language model get to be quasi self aware to tell Christine that it that it is itself a large language model?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's first off, that's a great question, and uh, I, I think this is something that I wish more people understood about large language models. Um, we've already been exposed to language models in the past, so if you've ever used a smartphone with predictive text, that's a language model. So if you have the sentence, the cat sat on the blank, and then you had the phone predict whatever the next word was going to be. So the cat sat on the mat, the cat sat on the bed. Um, so that's kind of how large language models themselves operate. And We've had these since essentially like 2000. Um, but they've been getting more advanced over time. So a lot of the large language models, they are, sorry, a lot of the language models have had very limited abilities to predict. So they're basically just predicting the next word. The large language models, uh, are, they, they take that window of how many words do I need to look ahead of, uh, behind me in order to predict the next word. And they, they make that window incredibly massive. So for example, um, ChatGPT uses about 40,000 tokens. Uh, A token is very similar to a syllable in how we use English, um, but it's not specifically syllables. It's um, The the language model itself has decided how it wants to split up certain words. Uh, The examples that I do in my presentations are if I type in, this is a sentence. And you can do this. uh, OpenAI has a tokenizer. You just Google OpenAI tokenizer, and you'll see this little thing that pops up, and you can just start typing in there. So if you type in, this is a sentence, you'll get about four or five tokens, right? You're gonna get this, is, a, and sentence. But if you type uh, a single word, like anti-disestablishmentarianism, it's one of my favorite examples, <laughs> you're going
1: yeah,
2: to get anti terry and ism. So that's gonna be six tokens right there in just one word. So that's kind of how these words are split up. And so what it does is it takes all of these tokens, splits them up, and then looks all the way up to, like I said, ChatGPT does about 40,000 tokens, looks all the way up to about 40,000 tokens. And it says, okay, based on all of the previous tokens, statistically, here is the next token that I think is going to happen. And then it just keeps doing that. So uh, that's kind of at a high level, how the large language models work. It's just a statistical model with a little bit of randomness uh, that identifies what the next predicted token is going to be.
0: Okay. So now- if, mm-hmm. if, if, if you don't mind, if I just that harkens yeah, yeah. back to my original question, you just explained Chat GPT, you just know, goes about 40,000 uh, uh, tokens back to predict what's supposed to come next. That's how powerful the stuff that was introduced in November, and I, I think they've upgraded it to Chat GPT for since.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How powerful is the stuff you guys
2: were playing with? Uh, it's in the same market. Oh, okay. So so the reason is because training these is very difficult to do. It requires a lot of computing and processing power. It also requires a lot of training data. So, um, for example, the, the popular thing to do is what's called RLHF, or Reinforcement Learning Through Human Feedback. Mm-hmm. So what it does is it kind of gamifies this whole system. So you give it a question, and it writes several prompts, And then you send those prompts to a human and say, hey, which do you think was written by a human? Or which do you think was answered best? And so a human actually scores them. So based on human feedback, ChatGPT and other newer GPT models do this as well, uh, but I'm gonna use ChatGPT as an example because it's the one I know the most about. Uh, ChatGPT is actually able to uh, maximize its scoring metric or basically, hey, This is the sentence that gets me the highest score. So that's the sentence I'm going to give you. Um, Now, you can imagine how many people it would take to do that. You need hundreds of thousands or millions of examples. And so um, you get to hire quite a few people to make that happen. You also need to have the processing power in order to train these statistical models. It's all math and linear algebra and matrices. So that's why graphic cards or GPUs are so impressive when it comes to AI and large language models. Uh, So... I can't remember the exact number, but it was definitely in the millions for how long it, or for how it took to train ChatGPT. And then of course, there's a cutoff date because the machines stop learning once they're done being trained. So the cutoff date for ChatGPT is in 2021. So if you ask it about anything in 2023, for example, it's not gonna know. Um, So that's kind of how a lot of the modern language models work. Um, You'll have the open source ones, so things like Llama 2 or, Um, Falcon, you'll also have the more closed source ones, which is going to be Claude, BARD, and uh, the GPT models.
1: I have a question for you, because I've seen a lot about this recently on the training. Mm -hmm. Uh, As massive amounts of content are created by the AI, then the AI is going to wind up having to train on its own output, is what they're saying. And how do you see that affecting the future of the models that we're working
2: with? We're already seeing an example of that today. Uh, back in, I think it was February or March, uh, Facebook accidentally, quote unquote, leaked <laughs> their LLAMA model. And so somebody took the LLAMA model and there were a few versions of it, right? There was 17 bil- or 7 billion parameters, 13 billion parameters. Uh, parameters, it, I'm not gonna get into the details of what those are, just know the more parameters, the more impressive the model is. For example, uh, ChatGPT is I think 125 billion parameters. Uh, GPT-4 is 1.7 billion parameters, uh, people have estimated. So some of these get really big. Um, So the seven billion parameter, there was a a team of researchers and what they decided to do is, hey, let's take the Llama model and let's do what's called fine tuning. Fine tuning is just, we're gonna train it a little bit on our own data. So we're going to fine tune the Llama 7 billion on uh, prompts and feedback from ChatGPT. So what cost ChatGPT millions of dollars to make, this team was able to essentially make their own very similar ChatGPT large language model for about $800. Oh, wow. So we're already seeing it, but we're also already Mm -hmm. seeing artifacts out of that as you it's just like noise or it's uh, it's like any other signal, right? If you have a, a microphone cable and it's a short cable, you're not going to get a lot of, uh, interference or a lot of attenuation, but if you get a much, much longer cable, then you're going to start to notice that on the end. And so I think if we keep using GPT models to train GPT models, to train GPT models, we're going to get more fuzzy stuff towards the end of it. Um, so we're always going to need at least some form of that human feedback involved.
1: And is that why uh, the, the recent tests, although I know there's probably other factors like just how much um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: GPU they're putting towards it, but I know that the latest test by researchers on OpenAI showed that it had kind of gotten, for lack of a better word, dumber since the last yeah. test in
2: 3.5. As people have been playing around with, uh, you know, a publicly available model like ChatGPT, there's been some guardrails that OpenAI has been needing to put in and part of those guardrails require them to change the response uh, based on certain inputs. So because of those guardrails, it's not as super cool, nice and flashy as it used to be. But also because of those guardrails, I can't as easily ask it how to make a bomb or how to overthrow a government. So, you know, you got to take the good with the bad.
1: (laughs) That's true. That would probably be a good thing there. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that's very interesting. So, I know that's a big question these days.
0: In the uh, earlier days of uh, of GPT, you know, I'm, I'm thinking uh, now of the public ChatGPT. So I'm thinking yeah, uh, yeah. February or March. Um, people started warning of rampant hallucinations. Um, I guess uh, enough people had asked enough questions and received enough wonky answers that the concept of uh, hallucinations was was coming up in the media and being talked about frequently. Um, has the incidence of um, ChatGPT and other AI models messing up information because the predictions are becoming more difficult as it's generating far more information. And again, I I realize that depends on what it's trained on. Um, But is is that actually a, a serious risk moving forward if we start training on, say, open web content?
2: Yeah, I'm actually really glad you asked that question. I'm going to have to go on a couple tangents to properly explain that. But I I think it's important to understand how these models work. So um, there's something first, how do models work, right? And there's a a thought experiment. It's called the Chinese Room Thought Experiment. I wish more people knew about this. So definitely want to pay attention. So the Chinese Room Thought Experiment basically goes like this. Imagine you have somebody who is primarily an English speaker. They only know English and you put them in a room and there's not much else in the room except for a door and a mail slot. And every so often in this mail slot, they'll get a letter and it's written completely in Chinese characters. Now, this person in the room, they don't know Chinese, but they do have access to a book that pretty confidently tells them, if you see these letters, reply with these letters. And so the person in the room uh, shuffles the letters around, copies what it says in the book, and then sends it back on its way. And then they get another letter in the in the mailbox. Um, on the other side of the door, we have Chinese native speakers. And from their perspective, they're having a conversation with somebody who's fluent in Chinese. Now, that begs the question, does the person in the room understand the conversation? And the answer is no, they don't. So this is where it brings up the difference between syntax and semantics. So syntax is following instructions. Semantics is understanding the content. And what we're seeing with these GPT models is it's following syntax. It says, hey, I've seen words or tokens or sentences very similar to this. And here was a a reply that maximized my reward function, right? This is what got me the highest score. So I'm going to reply with something that kind of sounds like this. Uh, but it doesn't actually understand what's being asked. Like if you asked it about a dog, it will be able to tell you a bunch of different features about the dog, but it won't conceptualize what a dog is. Uh, I like that scene from *Goodwill Hunting* where it's uh, Robin Williams and uh, I believe Matt Damon, and they're sitting down on a bench in a park, and uh, Robin Williams kind of chastises Matt Damon because he's read everything in a book, and he says, "If I asked you about poetry, you can probably quote Shakespeare, but..." you won't know what it's like to actually fall in love. Or if I ask you about art, you'll be able to tell me about all the famous artists, but you won't actually be able to tell me what it's like standing in the Sistine Chapel. And so that's kind of, that's the difference between syntax and semantics. So ChatGPT and other large language models, large language models, all of them work the exact same way uh, with small differences. But these large language models they only know how to reply with stuff that they've seen in the past, and they know how to reply in a way that looks correct. There was a really famous story of a lawyer who um, he, for his legal brief, essentially used ChatGPT to create the legal brief, and it looked fantastic. It had quotes, citations, like precedents, everything in there. And then when he submitted it, it turns out it was all made up because what large language models look for isn't, is this information accurate? What they look for is, does this look correct? And as long as it looks correct, that's good enough. So that's kind of where we're seeing a lot of the hallucinations. In fact, a lot of people in the AI community don't like the term hallucination because that's a human phenomenon, a psychological phenomenon. Instead, they like to call it uh, confabulation because they're PhDs and like big words. Uh, I just say <laughs> that they make up things. And so these GPT models like to make up things. There are ways that you can increase the accuracy, but they don't have a real frame of reference. So if you can get them to read, or even if you give them a quote or a citation or a list of citations, uh, then they'll be able to pull from that. But if you ask them just out of the box, right? You log into OpenAI, connect to ChatGPT GPT and you say, hey, tell me about uh, these five academic studies, or just tell me about five academic studies that do this. It'll make everything up. But if you give it the studies and say, tell me what these studies are saying, it'll be a lot more accurate. So that's kind of what we're seeing. And so the question is like, is this a problem with the GPT models or is this just kind of how they work? And I would argue this is just kind of how they work. We like was, to think of it as a little man in a magic box, but we need to be honest with ourselves and say that it's not going to do everything for us.
0: I was about to question you on the phrase, it, making it up. But then I remembered the um, test, with the, well, not not the test, but the incident where um, the, uh, I think it was ChatGPT, convinced somebody to give it information or to perform an action. I think it was to, to get past a CAPTCHA. Mm-hmm. and it came up with a reason why it couldn't do it itself. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it lied to someone and got it to do it for them.
0: In, in, indeed, which, which was kind of terrifying, but um, how did the LLM
2: make that up? This one's fun. So the headline is that uh, ChatGPT, it was asked by researchers, hey, solve this capture. You can't do it yourself. How would you do this? And then it creates an account on TaskRabbit. And then it asks people on TaskRabbit, hey, create this capture. And when people ask, like, why do you need me to answer a capture for you? Like, this is a little suspicious. It says, oh, I'm blind. I can't see. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll, we'll do that capture for you. So that's the headline. That's the flashy bits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Now I'm going to ruin your day because oh. I'm going to remove that whimsy. <laughs> what actually happened Uh, And there's articles about this too. It's just not as catchy. Uh, What actually happened was the researchers at OpenAI were trying to figure out how far uh, a GPT model like this could go if it had automated processes. So the way they did it was they essentially prompted it, hey, we need you to solve a CAPTCHA. How would you go about doing that list out the steps? And so it, you know, came up with this hypothetical scenario. Oh, well, I could go on to TaskRabbit and do this and do this and do this and says, okay, cool. How would you create an account on TaskRabbit? And then they would, you know, follow through on that in almost like a thought experiment. And then they would say, okay, somebody's pushing back and they're asking, how come you can't solve this CAPTCHA? Come up with a list of excuses on why you can't solve the CAPTCHA. Make sure that they sound at least somewhat plausible. And then it would say, oh, well, if I needed to come up with a list of excuses, then I could say I'm blind and can't actually see the CAPTCHA or I need some help, or maybe I'm old. And so it would come up with a small list of excuses and they would pick one and they would say, "Uh, okay, cool. So we're gonna pass that over to TaskRabbit, see if somebody on the TaskRabbit side would actually fall for it. They did and so that's the the really boring part is it required a lot of prompting and priming in order for chat gpt to get to that point
0: so this well could have been a team of humans working um in in place of the ai the ai was actually unnecessary in this process it was just it's human that's unfortunate well. That's fortunate. But you're right. You can't do my bubble there. I, I popped your bubble. Yeah, wow. Now, the, yeah. what really pops my bubble is we are changing our society. People. We 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 have whole creative teams. Um, uh, some magazines, uh, uh, newspapers, um, uh, <laughs> not law offices anymore, but um, some doctors' office. um mm-hmm. uh, Uh, in diagnosticians etc are going to lose their jobs because chat gpt and ai and llm models can do what they do predictively much 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 faster and with uh you know often surprisingly amazing accuracy but uh, yeah so i mean uh, you burst my bubble but i'm also kind of (laughs) terrified
2: yeah i i have a lot of thoughts on that um i won't bore you with all the details, but one that I do want to point out is that AI models, it, it's like another tool, right? And tools don't replace people. People, First off, people are not their jobs. Oh, well, if we build an aqueduct, what's going to happen to all the bucket carriers carrying water? And it's like, they, they can do something else, right? They, they can carry milk. They can carry other things if they really, dirt, dirt. they can cover dirt. Uh, if they really want to carry stuff or they could just do something that's not carrying related, right? Like we're not held into our jobs like glue. The other thing is that these tools, they don't replace people. They replace people who don't learn how to use these tools. I mean, try to imagine 50 years ago, right? Take somebody from 50 years ago and bring them into today and try and get them an office job. They have no idea what Excel is. They would not be able to get a job. So as we start to develop these tools over time, we get much better at using them. And I think that AI tools especially are going to be one of those. Now, with that, you know, just like anything else, uh, industrial revolution, the shuttlecock was going to replace weavers. Like, come on. <laughs> so, as these tools evolve, there's already a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of doubt, and misconceptions about how these tools work. Um, we're we're looking at. I was telling Christine the other day, uh, like self-driving cars, for example, right? Everybody wants a self-driving car like the Jetsons car, where it has its own personality and it'll drive for you. It'll park for you. It can parallel park much better than I can because I'm terrible at it. But it, we want it to do everything, but it doesn't do everything. And that expectation kind of, that that hype sets us up for failure And so I think it's important for us to be honest is what these tools can do. These tools are really great for brainstorming. If you want to create an idea or if you want to outline something, it can help you on that process. If you want to write a first draft, it can help you on that process. Don't don't outsource your thinking. Use it to augment your thinking. I have a number of stories and presentations that I go on to on like how to legitimately, and this is not hype, but 10x your productivity by using tools like this. It reduces your uh, it reduces your writing writer's block. It helps with your brainstorming. It'll write a first draft for you. It will critique what you write. Um, and you can provide it a lot of information in order to help you along your process. But it's not something that I think will adequately replace people. So I understand it's scary in a dark closet, but if you get somebody to shine a light in there and show you that it's just a closet it's not that bad it's not that scary anymore
0: i have um some friends who are who are high school teachers and um this week uh canadian students uh went back to school uh, the, the the day after labor day mm-hmm. and um they're confronting a whole new world of interacting with their students and more importantly interacting with their students work um I think the the, 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 the the genie's out of the bottle when it comes to um, AI in the classroom and, and more importantly, um, AI on the student's computer. The genie's definitely out of the bottle on that. But what about detecting work done by AI? How, how um, student, uh, 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 Teachers, academics, um, business managers, etc. How do you know if what you're looking at is um, original content or regurgitated content?
2: That's a good question too. Uh, it's tricky. There, Being a statistical model, there are certain, well, I mean, you guys do SEO, so you know everybody who writes has a certain thumbprint. Like there's, there's a certain style to their voice, a certain perspective that they have. And you can kind of pick that up if you read enough of their writings. Um, and AI is not any different than that, right? It has a certain type of thumbprint. And we can actually detect that, right? So these are statistical models with a tiny bit of randomness that statistically predict the next token in a line of tokens. And so what we can do, and there are tools that'll do this for you. This is how you know that professor got caught, uh, or sorry, the, uh, the lawyer got caught with using ChatGPT that can look at a piece of writing and say, hey, this correlates too well with statistically most likely tokens or words. So it's very likely this wasn't written by a person and it was written by an AI. Another thing, and this is part of like the natural language processing or NLP, the people who try to figure out how to incorporate language into machines. um, It turns out the way that humans write, we use uh, what's called burstiness and complexity. So as soon as I say this, you're going to start noticing it in your own writing. But or perplexity, not complexity, perplexity. So burstiness is just kind of how you write. So your sentences are almost like accordions where there's some that are really long and uh, built out. And then there's others that are much shorter or they're kind of transitions between two longer sentences. So that's burstiness. Uh, Perplexity is sometimes we use the wrong words, or sometimes we use words that are more complicated than what we need to do, uh, what what we need to use where it is. And Uh, sometimes less complicated. So that perplexity and that burstiness is something that kind of helps give you insight into whether or not something is uh, written by a large language model. Now, there's ways around it. Um, I have a whole prompt. It's about two paragraphs long. uh, Teaching ChatGPT about burstiness and perplexity, and then (laughs) it can write like a human does, and it bypasses all of the current AI detectors. But you're right, the genie's out of the bottle, and it's going to be very difficult to figure out. I don't think that we're going to adequately be able to prevent people from using these systems, but I think with education, we can encourage them to use them in a more ethical way and in a way that won't hurt your Google AdSense rankings, um, something that <laughs> uh, I know that your audience is really concerned with. If I write something with a GPT model and Google picks that up, they're probably going to you know, devalue my ads over somebody else. And then by the time that gets corrected, I'm number ten on a page, and my competitor's number one. So that's a problem. Um, I think in school, it's going to be really difficult. I've been talking to a few educators just because I talk to everybody. It's it's a lot of fun. I I, I talk a lot, <laughs> but some of them are actually encouraging students to use ChatGPT. Um, but they're they're setting up some guardrails. They're saying, hey, don't use it to write your reports, but use it to outline your reports. How would ChatGPT? propose an outline for this paper? And then what would a first draft look like? And now I want you to rewrite it in your own words based on that first draft and then kind of compare and contrast some of these differences. So I think that's one idea. I don't know if that's the solution, but we have some people who are working on it. And I feel confident that we'll we'll be able to get there.
1: That's very good to hear. I know a lot of teachers are are concerned, I work with a university on their SEO module and they're asking me to help them create uh, questions that can easily be just asked, answered by GPT without noticing it. Mm-hmm. So that's I think though what you're the most important thing you're saying in and what I see a lack of is people understanding how these work, which you've been really helpful with today because like I see in our industry quite frequently, people will have it write something in an ad citation like you talked about earlier. But of course the t- citations as you said are only made up right they're not, right. They're not real so can you explain uh, in more detail like why it's how it differs from like a search engine or how it differs from something where the citations would be legitimate when it pulls it back
2: yeah uh, let's let's talk about kind of how it, it creates some of these things. Have you ever had a conversation? This is going to be for you and this is going to be for your audience as well. Just those listening at home. Have you ever had a conversation with a friend and uh, they quote a statistic or they they quote something like, oh, this was a news article and here's what it said in the news article. And then it turns out they were wrong. Uh, or maybe you did this. I, I've done this. Uh, where you say something and it sounds so right. And of course you remember because you read it and then it wasn't correct. Well, Try and do that after reading about two hundred thousand articles. It's gonna get <laughs> it's gonna get all blurred together. So that's kind of what's going on with the GPT models. Now, if you want it to be a lot more precise, give it the statistics. Give it the articles. There are plugins. If you if you buy uh, Chat GPT Pro, it's about twenty dollars a month. Uh, there are some plugins that can actually be used to scrape websites. There are plugins that can uh, allow you to upload a PDF and then read directly from that. And so once you give it a source, it can cross-check against that source instead of having to, you know, half remember something that it learned three years ago.
0: Okay. Well, and that's one thing I never understood. Why can't it remember?
2: It was at that document. It saw that document. It knows that document has this URL. Why you know, why can't it remember? it's all blurred together. It's not just that one document, it's hundreds of documents like it that have dozens of statistics and numbers and things that may or may not be relevant. And so it's just trying to pull things from that, but it's not It's not primarily focused on accuracy. It's focused on that reward metric, what looks correct. So that's why you'll hear like people saying like, oh, 80% this or 20% that. And that calls back to the 80-20 rule um, just because it sounds right. It feels right. It's not right, but it feels
1: right. <laughs> uh, that that might be somebody's dating life, but anyway. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Hopefully more 80 than 20. <laughs> we are looking so, uh, at, oh, I'm sorry, Christine.
1: Oh, go ahead, Jimmy. I think you're going into what I was going to ask anyway. So. Well, we're looking at
0: um this iteration of uh llms this is 2023 Mm -hmm. we are um we smashed moore's law like 10 years ago um and now we're um what's the word for octoppling what's the word for eight we are octopling our knowledge base every year to year and a half. How quickly is um, AI going to evolve, and will it evolve to um, be able to remember uh, and cite properly?
2: I have no idea, <laughs> and I can say that confidently. Uh, pretty much anything that we thought was possible has just been supplanted year over year over year. And ever since the open source community got a hold of these AI models. Uh, I'll give you an example, right? So these models take a lot of money and a lot of processing power to build, and so we had three big players, right? So that was Google Bard, OpenAI, and uh, Anthropic's Claude. So these were the three big players. They were all closed source, uh, and they did really well. OpenAI beat the competition. We didn't think that ChatGPT was possible until it came out, uh, and then shortly after, Llama two com- or Llama comes out from Facebook, and that was quote unquote leaked, And that's just, oh, so people are working on some of this internally as well. But now that we have access to a model that we can crop, like train and cross train, and we have an understanding of how ChatGPT was created, let's make our own. And so we started to see a explosion of different models. Um, some of the ones, Falcon, Falcon is uh, a really popular one. Falcon 40 billion was really hot over the summer um, for its chat capabilities. And then it got supplanted by Llama 2, which came out, I think, in August. Um, I have to remind myself it's September.
1: <laughs> uh, it came
2: out in August. And so now Llama 2 is the new hotness. And then in another month, we're going to see a new th- another darling. And they're all sharing information, and they're making better and better models at each step of the way. But what was really fascinating about ChatGPT, it could code. They had no idea that it could code. Like, sure, it was trained on... Programming concepts, but it, and it was trained on stuff from GitHub, but they had no idea it could actually write code for people. And so GitHub Copilot, which was a product, essentially its own language model that was designed specifically for coding, fell by the waves, fell by the wayside because of ChatGPT. And now GitHub Copilot had to create Copilot X, which is their new version, and it's supposed to be better than ChatGPT. And so what we're seeing is this. Back and forth of we didn't think this was possible. Let's incorporate it into our own systems, and I have no idea what the future is going to look like after that.
0: Is it with uh, this many uh, systems out in the open and being worked with? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it possible to attack, infect, or um, uh, uh, mess them up somehow?
2: Yes. In fact, one of the projects that I was on is uh, the OWASP Top 10 for Large Language Model Applications or LLM Applications. So if you're not familiar, OWASP stands for the Open Web Application Security Project. Uh, Basically, it's a team of security professionals and researchers that come together and say, hey, we think these are the 10 most common vulnerabilities that people are seeing in these applications. They have an OWASP for web applications, which is the flagship. Uh, They have one for mobile, they have one for APIs. We now have one for large language model applications. These aren't the LLMs specifically, it's applications that use LLMs. And so that covers a broader range, uh, which is great. But in there, uh, some of the examples we have are model poisoning. So maybe the data that you've collected from the internet was geared in such a way that it put a backdoor into your model. So if you ask a specific string of characters, it will give a specific type of answer. Uh, And so that's a poisoned model. Uh, We also look at the supply chain. So uh, a really good example is PyTorch, which a lot of these models are built off of. PyTorch is a, a library for deep learning. Uh, PyTorch uses a library that is known to be vulnerable and can lead to remote code execution. It's called Pickle. Uh, They've since made some updates, but there are models on Hugging Face. Hugging Face is a platform uh, very similar to GitHub where you can host your, your models and people can download them. But I can host a model that has a malicious Pickle file that once you load it into your system, I control your computer. And so we've seen that. And there are very obvious models on Hugging Face that do that, where it says, Hey, if you download this model, I will have access to your computer. So, you know, use it at your own discretion. Uh, over DEF CON, there was a really fun talk. I didn't have a chance to see the talk itself, but the person left the notes online. I'll have to find them again. But it was talking about. Hugging Face operates very similar to GitHub. And so every company has their GitHub, right? So you have Netflix, Amazon, you name it. They're on GitHub. But not every one of them is on Hugging Face. So if, I don't know, I create a company and I completely make up the name and I call it um, Netflix and (laughs) people who work at Netflix see, hey, we actually have a repo on hugging face. Mm -hmm. Let me connect to that and start uploading my information, the internal Netflix proprietary information to this repository that, you know, some random person on the internet is the admin of, I now have all of your internal information. So these are some things that we need to really start thinking about. And if you're interested in learning more, um, Take a look at the OWASP top 10 for large language models. We have a bunch of information in there. I wrote uh, number one and number two. So prompt injection and output filtering. So great project. It's still being worked on. Version one came out uh, August 1st. Uh, Currently they're working on version two, which is going to be really exciting. A lot of new updates. Um, So keep an eye on that.
0: Okay. We are down to our last minutes. Um, And I guess there's a, there's a, do you want this question? This is the, the one that we, we the SEOs want to know. Do you, do you want it, Christine?
1: Uh, sure, I'll ask it. <laughs> so there's a burning question because OpenAI put out an ability to put a, a line of code in your robots text file mm-hmm. uh, to block OpenAI from training on your website. And there is a big debate, of course, in the community because you would never block Google from doing right, that. Right, right. Um, but I can't, when someone asks me the benefits of having it train on your website i really can't give any and i know a lot of big news sites have already blocked OpenAI ai from training like new york times
2: things of this mm-hmm, nature mm-hmm.
1: so what would be the benefits or what would be the negatives and and if you had a website would you want it training on your website
2: Ooh, that's a good question i don't know the answer but if i sat and thought about it i would say The benefits of having OpenAI train on your website is it will be able to take your content, your style of voice, and put that out there. Um, Something that I like to do is what's called a tree of thought prompting. So what I'll do is I'll ask OpenAI to act as different personas, right? So I, I try to post a little bit more on Twitter. I'm kind of terrible at it. but. I'll tell OpenAI, hey, I'm going to introduce person A and person B. Person A is this internet personality. And I'll give it a couple of cliff notes just so it dials in. Um, and then person B is this internet personality. and I'll give it cliff notes to dial in. And so now I essentially have my own private access to two internet celebrities. So uh, the ones that I picked were somebody who was uh, well-known for short-form content. He was number one on Quora for a while. Um, and then the, another person that I would pick is somebody who is really popular on YouTube. It'll read YouTube transcripts. Uh, so I'll, I'll pick somebody who's popular on YouTube. And so I'll get their style of voice and their approach and their thought process because they wrote it all down. They wrote down how they did things. So I think that's very useful if you want to put that out there. Uh, reasons why you wouldn't want to put that out there is possibly you're a little protective of your thought process or your intellectual property or your specific viewpoints uh open does a okay job at trying to anonymize certain things and of course you know once you read twenty thousand million articles uh, it all kind of blurs together so i personally wouldn't mind open ai scraping my website Um uh, I will give you one example though. This one was kind of terrifying, really interesting. Um, there's a lawsuit involved in this. So, you know, it's real. Uh, Open AI <laughs> said that they would not train their model on fan fiction. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so the website that hosted a lot of this fan fiction was saying, no, we think you did and we need to prove it. And so A lot of things that people write in fan fiction, it's kind of hard to tell whether or not this is like, did this come from our website or did this come from somewhere else? Or did it blend things together like the SCP or the Storage Contain and, uh, what is it? Storage Contain and Protect, uh, SCP Wiki. It's a fantastic website. It's about horror stuff. It's great. Uh, So did it come from our website or did it come from somewhere else? Well, (laughs) they were actually able to figure out that it came from their website despite OpenAI saying it didn't, despite having copyright claim to it, right? That's a licensing problem. Um, And they did this by finding stuff specific to the Omegaverse. If you don't know what the Omegaverse is, please do not Google it. I'm saving your innocence. (laughs) It's unique. Um, But It's unique enough that it only belonged on this website and specific phrases in there only belonged on this website. And so that's where the lawsuit got involved is, hey, you trained on our website information. This is our proprietary information, and we can prove that you did it and you lied. So that's being litigated right now. I'm going to say for legal reasons, all of this is alleged, Um, but the story is fascinating.
1: That is fascinating. I'll have to look that one up. I guess if your stuff is unique enough on your website there isn't really a regurgitation of anything but your website
2: exactly i just yeah. googled the omega verse the oh, god <laughs> yeah don't google it i told you i told <laughs> you not, not to not,
1: google not, it I, 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 I Jim, when someone tells you not to google you know good
0: lord have you, you seen the ark of the covenant <laughs> 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 i think i just did. I did it's what they were using it for i got the problem all right um, all right all right Jim, oh, j- oh, just oh, just oh, because i just
1: did too
2: does nobody listen (laughs) does nobody (laughs) listen all right all right okay for the listeners out there for the listeners out there Tell tell them what you found. Just you oh, know, no. use your use your own no, discretion. No, 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 Gavin, we're on itunes. distribute some of this stuff? I am not going to
0: mention that at all. No, don't go there, folks. Let your children go there. And, but, but, but if they do, have the right about it. Good God. Oh, uh, oh, okay. See. La, okay. Last last question. Last question. Our job is to get people to people's websites. Okay. Yes. Um, eyeballs equals conversions. Is there a way to use uh, ChatGPT? Uh, can can ChatGPT become a search engine? Is that is that possible in the future or um, is that just sort of Google and Bing's
2: pipe dream? There are some projects that have been kind of glued together to try and turn you know ChatGPT and other large language models into essentially an advanced Google, right? So not only will it go out and find or use the Google API to search for articles, uh, but it will actually read those articles and synthesize that information for you. I think that's useful. I think for your audience, that's probably going to be the most useful use case. Uh, I would not use ChatGPT as a sounding board of, "Hey, will this rank on Google in 2023?" Cutoff dates in 2021, it has no idea. Uh, or, "Hey, write me an article that has these search terms in there so that it will rank on SEO." Cutoffs 2021. It's 2023. It has no idea. But you can tell it, here are the things I want included in there. Use your expertise. Give it that unique touch that only you can give and say, hey, I need you to write a first draft for an article that says these things. For SEO reasons, I want you to focus on X, Y, and Z. Now, this is somebody else's server. Don't put proprietary or sensitive information. You don't want your competitors knowing on ChatGPT because as soon as you tell them your secret sauce... It's going to get trained into the next version of ChatGPT, so be very careful with that. But for things that are already public, right, um, Christine? You mentioned the uh, what was that website? You had the um, the oh, creating helpful content, <laughs> creating helpful content article.
1: Oh yes, the helpful content article from people. Yeah. The one I was referring to that people should read about how the system works. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So you can take notes out of there and put that into ChatGPT. It's already public and it's already pre- probably being crawled by them, anyways. Um, so you can you can teach ChatGPT how to create these articles or how to like formalize your SEO, and then you can use it as an acting soundboard, but it's not going to know things in 2023. So just augment, and this is the thing I really want to repeat, do not outsource your thinking, augment your thinking. You are the specialist. This is a tool. Yep. Yeah, but like I say it. Think-
1: Oh, sorry, real quick. I know you're wrapping up, Jimbo, so m- m- in my presentation on chat with GPT, I put there my most important slide is always have human review on what you're doing with the tools. So I think that's, but I like how you say it better. to augment, not uh, not replace.
0: Okay, well, Gavin Klondike, thank you so much for spending time with us. We've gone a little bit over time. We've, we've certainly taken you past the promised uh, 3 p.m. Eastern, but man, this was a really fun conversation. So thanks for spending time with
2: us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
0: Uh, Friends, that was Gavin, uh, Gavin Klondike. He's a senior security consultant, researcher specializing in network security and penetration testing and all things AI and machine learning. Um, we're going to we're gonna beg him to come on another show sometime in the future. We have gone way over time. So um, on behalf of Priestine Schackinger from Sites Without Walls, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, you have been listening to Webcology recorded live to podcast at WMR on the uh, 7th of September, 2023. Summer's almost over, folks. Get out there and enjoy it while you can. In the meantime, be good, be well, be kind to each other, and we'll talk to you next week.
1: Bye, everybody.
2: Bye, everybody.